Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. The views and opinions of this show are directly those of the hosts and its guests. It does not reflect the opinions of its affiliates or its sponsors. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens... When the mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view, <laughs> something epic. This is Paratroop Radio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratooth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And this week we are coming at you by ourselves. We are doing cryptids today. We love our cryptids. And Justin came up with, actually, we both came up with one this week, which is not that common, actually. Usually it's one of us that comes up with two or something. Right. Uh, but we will be talking about the Mini Washitu and the Lamona uh, today. They're both creatures of cryptid lore, uh, both in North America as well as uh, Mexico, I believe. Um, and, you know, this is, both of these creatures are actually really interesting. Again, these are the type of cryptids that are relatively rare uh amongst the many common cryptids that we know of and talk about regularly uh and you know we like to bring these rarer type of cryptids to you guys uh give them a little bit of the light you know a little show uh, since they're so not much talked about i guess (laughs) yeah well we might have covered the mini washitu uh during our native american um cryptid uh, I don't remember for sure. Reading through the description, it kind of sounded familiar. So if you guys, if we have done this before, this is a little more in-depth than what it was before. But I don't think we've ever covered Lamona before. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. Uh, so I don't know if you, unless you have something you want to throw in uh, house cleaning or whatnot, you, which one do you want to start with? Uh, we can wait for house cleaning till the end um <coughs> um i guess let's start with the mini washitu okay um so this is one that i actually came across um because <clears throat> my wife shelly was reading through stuff and in, in, in her facebook feed she saw this cryptid um it's from native american lore and it's uh kind of Minnesota or I'm sorry it's the what's the river the Missouri River sorry um it the article says it's kind of similar to the Pacific Northwest Sasquatch or the Wendigo of Minnesota and the Great Lakes region so I was getting kind of confused but uh the Miniwashitu is is a river monster in the Missouri River uh, that takes on a terrifying appearance. Um, author Melvin Randolph Gilmore, uh, one-time curator of the North Dakota State 
Historical Society wrote about them in Iwashitu in 1921. <clears throat> um, it is said, and this is quoting from his work, that in the long ago there was a mysterious being within the stream of the Missouri River. It was seldom seen by human beings and was most dreadful to see. It is said that sometimes it was seen within the water in the middle of the stream, causing a redness shining like the redness of fire as it passed up the stream against the current with a terrific, terrific roaring sound. And they say that if this dreadful being was seen by anyone in the daytime, anyone who thus saw it soon after became crazy and continued restless and writhing as though in pain until he was relieved by death. And it is said that one time, not a very great many years ago, this frightful being was seen by a man, and he told how it appeared. He said that it was of strange form and covered all over with hair like a buffalo, but red in color, that it had only one eye in the middle of the, its forehead, and above that a single horn. Its backbone stood out, notched and jagged like an enormous saw. As soon as the man beheld the awful sight, everything became dark to him, he said. He was just able to reach home, but he lost his reason, and soon after that he died. It is said this mysterious Miniwashitu uh, water monster is the <clears throat> actual uh, translation, still lives in the Missouri River, and that in springtime, as it moves upstream against the current, it breaks up the ice of the river. This, this water monster was held in awe and dread by the people. <clears throat> it is said not to. It's not hard to imagine the dread people felt, considering the horror of the legend. A red, hairy serpent of the Missouri River with one eye, a horn, and sharp spines along its back. It appears once accompanied by a terrifying roar, and it, impart, and it imparted blindness and insanity on anyone who saw it. So. <clears throat> I've seen different descriptions and depictions of this thing. Many of the mm -hmm. depictions kind of form it more as a bison-like or buffalo-like creature, where in the description itself, it's more <clears throat> serpent-like. Uh, yeah, kind of like, I don't know, like even in this particular description that you just read, I'm getting this kind of, uh, I mean, it says hairy serpent, but it's reminding me of the one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people leader. So I'm that's wondering what I if it's thought of when I read it too. Flies, but um, yeah, I, you know, when it comes to cryptids like these, you know, th th there's no evidence of this particular cryptid other than what is of legend here uh, through story. We don't have any video videos or pictures, uh, just artistic renderings. And of course the artistic rendering uh, probably is really based on who's telling the story. Uh, and depending on who's telling the story and what region they're coming from, it could change. It's kind of like telephone as well. You know, they haven't actually yeah. seen it. So, it, you know, so as to which one this actually looks like, you know, I think it's just all up to speculation and one's own opinion. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, it's still a very interesting look. It's, it's not often we get a one-eyed, one-horned, creature you know flying purple people eater right 
You can't um, say it without finishing with that. <laughs> well, and in in this depiction, he's retelling it from somebody who's who's told it to him. Right. Um and it doesn't say whether whoever this person is that is is telling this story is Native American in culture, uh, a white man in culture. Um, it, it is a Native American legend. So <clears throat> not that that really matters, but is it? it's just a retelling of Native American lore, or did, it, did somebody really witness this? Because if you're hearing, like we've talked about numerous times, if you're hearing stories from Native Americans in that day and age, and you're on the Missouri River, um, it's springtime, you hear this god-awful sound, which actually could truthfully just be the ice cracking and, and separating, not necessarily a roar, because you could hear an echo from that type of break in the ice. Um, and you just notice something in the water moving, <clears throat> whether it's red, whether it's another color, your mind is going to go straight to that legend instead of whatever you actually saw. Right. Yeah. It, it, I think this is more, you know, obviously this is Native American lore and this is a type of story that's going to travel around uh, Native American tribes, uh, especially in North Dakota. So they're going to be most prominent in knowing and understanding the creature and where it lives. Um, and of course, with, with some of these uh, Native American stories, the creatures aren't always actual creatures. They can just be symbolism for something else entirely. Uh, and right. what that is, you know, we couldn't possibly know unless we're actually with Native Americans who are willing to tell us what the story means and what these creatures are. Uh, so that is one disappointing thing when, when it comes to doing research on Native American lore, is unless we go out and actually get into contact with the tribe, and especially a tribesman who's willing to tell us the stories, which they're very secretive to begin with, uh, with their culture, we're just kind of grasping at straws. Uh, but no less, right. I mean, at least this particular creature seems to have uh, some sort of significant uh, or some sort of significance uh, to the Missouri River and to the lands of that area as well. I think it's really interesting that it's the type of creature where and we've only had a couple of these where you can look at it and then basically go insane until you die. Uh, I think right. the only other one was also a separate like creature. I forget which river it was, but it was a snake like creature that would rise up and do the same thing, uh, drive people crazy. Which, who's to say that those people weren't crazy to begin with? <laughs> really, it's I true. mean, that's true. <clears throat> um, I I did get a chance to talk to somebody about. Um, the Serpent of Devil's Lake, um, and there was a young lady there who is of Native American descent, um, and I, I was telling it, and it didn't even register that she had, you know, you know she was she was part Native American. Um, so I'm I'm telling it like I I know what the legend actually is when we have a Native American person right there next to me, and uh, so I, I tell it. And um, 
one of uh, our friends looks at her and she's like, is that or she asked the, the girl, is that right? And she's like, yeah, that's pretty much all I know about it. So I was pretty happy that what I had told is actually what's known about the, the serpent of devil's lake. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> that really goes to show though, that maybe even some of the modern day Native American descendants don't really know all the legends or the full legends of their culture. Right. Well, I think you have to determine how far removed you are from the culture right. as well. Uh, just because you're Native American doesn't mean you're part of the tribe per se. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into that. Right. So that is pretty much it for the Miniwashitu. So we can move into La Mona. And since you found this one, we'll let you go into that. Sure, sure. So the La Mona is actually of Central America, uh, Central American cultures. Um, and that, you know, that pretty much is like Guatemala, Belize, El Salvador, Honduras, uh, Nicaragua. Costa Rica, Panama, uh, that particular area. So <clears throat> this creature, I actually came across this in a TV show. Someone had posted a video of claiming to have seen one. And it was really, it really was a weird video of uh, basically this thing known as the monkey witch. It's what La Mona uh, is. La Mona is the, the um, what do you call it? Like the actual name of the creature mm -hmm. in Central America, but it has other names that people go by, like the Mona Bruja, the Monkey Witch, and the Dwarf Witch. Uh, now, <clears throat> according to the legend, the Monas were witches who, uh, through ancestral indigenous prayers, would shed their skin and grow their hair, uh, also their hands, and also grow their feet into long lengths, uh, transforming themselves into basically a being that is very much like a big monkey. Uh, the monkeys can move at high speed through the trees, usually to deal damage uh, to their enemies in surprising ways. And they did so amid chilling laughter and hideous screams that usually chilled the blood of their victims and leaving them kind of groggy or even speechless the rest of their lives. Uh, that particular description, of course, comes from monster.fandom.com. Uh, it's actually, it's basically a monster wiki and it's actually a really cool source. If you're looking into mm -hmm. any type of cryptids, stuff like that. Um, so I, there's various versions of this creature, um, especially depending on where you're at, you know, whether it's El Salvador or Guatemala or elsewhere. Uh, it, it's usually, though, said that these particular entities uh, would actually trap Christians, like the first Christian that came across them in their path, walk in the path, they would trap them and attack them. Uh, and of course there was a belief that there were uh, basically various women who would, types of women who would just appear one day and, turn in these monkeys, ravish the towns and disappear. Uh, they would usually be angry women who transformed and go in search of the men who abandoned them. Uh, it's even said that legend has it that women go to the 
uh, the, I think it's the kilomate tree or chilomate tree, uh, take one of its flowers that sprouts exactly at midnight and say a spell to transform themselves into this creature. Uh, so this is really type, the type of were creatures in a way, or skinwalkers. Uh, and they mm-hmm. don't always have to be monkeys. They transform in other things. They're, they're, and we'll get into that in, in the origin in a little bit here. Um, but there's also some legends of uh, another similar spectrum, uh, the Mekamala, which is basically supposed to be not so much a witch uh, in the shape of a monkey, but actually the devil himself taking on the shape of a monkey. Um, but again, that's just, it's one of those things where it's like you have a central figure and then you have this spider web that's kind of a, like a diagram of various branches of the same creature mm-hmm. that takes on various different forms, uh, each one transforming and becoming a new creature on its own at a certain point. Uh, but nonetheless, they're all more or less considered monas, just the La Mona is the central figure. Now, According to the origin, the myth of witches transforming into monkeys is related to the Mexican tradition of the Nohalis. Um, now, that's a culture who had, among other faculties, the ability to metamorphose into animals, sometimes for malevolent purposes. With the arrival of the Spanish conquerors to America, uh, it's said that the tradition of medieval European witches mixed with that of the Mesoamerican Mesoamerican Nohals, uh, giving rise to many legends about the people uh, who could basically assume animal forms. Uh, it, it is said that there are various animals like the Mona, the Kugwa, and the Cadejo. Uh, the Lomona, of course, is the legend, um, or is a legend, and has its own uh, origin in the Corotega people and the Cortegas uh, of Mesopotamian. Or Meso, geez, Mesoamerican origin <laughs> preserved many of the customs and myths and traditions of the Aztec and Mayan cultures, including the belief that the powers of the Nohals um, would basically be a real and would be blessed upon them. Uh, now, during the colony, uh, there was a variant of the legend of the monkey. Uh, And it was basically a woman who could assume the form of large birds that often soared through the air. Uh, Now, I think that's kind of interesting because we've seen witches, uh, legends of witches becoming uh, birds regularly, birds or bats or some type Mm -hmm. of creature that would fly in take little children off and eat them or kill them or use them for spells or whatever. Uh, and of course, we also know that through various witch legends, especially those in European folklore uh, and of course, early American folklore, that witches would be able to transform into uh, basically various familiars or like their familiars. So they could be owls, they could be ravens, they could be dogs, cats, right. monkeys, uh, basically anything they wanted. Uh, but usually those witches would have one form and transform it back and forth between that form alone uh, when practicing their craft or running through the woods, uh, flying their broomsticks or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, this this monkey witch of the Lamona, I, I had seen the video of it on Paranormal Caught on Camera, half that stuff. Mind you, I don't even, I know is it real. You could tell it's not real, but this one is weird. And it was weird because it was a dark figure and it moved oddly. Like 
human, both human and animal. It had a very elongated body, um, but seemed to be walking on four limbs like a human would. And there were a lot of dogs that were going crazy in the neighborhood. And some of them even like backed away from it and would go around it and watch it and bark, 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 but then let it walk away. Uh, and it was just a really eerie thing. And, and when I saw it, I thought for sure we had to talk about this one because it was odd. Did you say humans walk on all fours? I, you know, I said it was like a human walking on all fours. Yeah. Oh, I thought... <laughs> I thought you meant that was our natural state. We walk on all fours. Oh, no. <laughs> if so, I've been um, doing it wrong all my whole life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it is interesting that both this and the uh, Mini Washitu, uh, the legend goes that uh, the scream makes, or, you know, in the Mini Washitu's case, the roar, right. um, the creature makes people go insane. In the Mini Washitu's yeah. case, you die from it, but. Well, in the in in, in the menu, that one, uh, it's not that they die from it, but that they will continue to basically stay insane until they're put to death. Uh, so they're not actually dying from the roar itself or the image of the creature, but they have to be put to death by somebody else. Well, no, the the one the recounting somebody was in pain until they died. I thought it said in pain until they're put to death. Well, Um, relieved by death is what it says. Oh, relieved by death. See, that's what I... Okay, see. The wording is a little weird. Yeah. But the the funny thing is, no matter what culture you look at for, for witches, there's always been that um, shape-shifting aspect. Uh, devil worship aspect. Um, And it it is interesting that this legend talks about how it would, uh, these creatures would attack the first Christians they see. And it kind of begs the question because in South or Central America, um, you would have had the conquistadors coming from Spain and going into Central America and whatnot, um, which, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on this, uh, many of the conquistadors would have been of Christian uh, religion. No matter what they would have been attacked by, especially if it was a woman, they would have just assumed that it was a witch of some kind. Right. For sure. And, you know, again, even then, it's everything that comes to the Americas, it's, it's really a big melting pot. So we have a multitude of different uh, legends and lore and belief systems coming in together and creating yes. these new belief systems uh, that exist within our culture. Uh, so in this case of the monkey, witch, you know, it's, and also this could be like, God, who knows? I mean, it could, it could literally just be a, a simple moment in time where somebody witnessed something and misinterpreted it such as an old woman running into the woods and then seeing a monkey swing from a tree and they put the two together to get this monkey witch, right, right? uh but yeah you know it, it's it is interesting to to think about how various religions can really mold 
a, a, a legend and create this kind of a, I, mean, I don't know how else to put it other than just like this religious viewpoint on it. Like in this case, right. attacking Christians or being of the devil or whatever, which it didn't start as uh, initially. Right. Yeah. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear Eric's random fact of the day, quick commercial, and we will be right back with Fair Truth Radio. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. Before the turn of the 20th century, both men and women often wore nightgowns to bed. However, that soon changed around 1900, when men and women were introduced to pajamas. According to bbc.co.uk, Zeppelin air raids began in 1915, meaning women and children could suddenly become victims of war in their own beds. Magazines started suggesting that women should either wear more practical nightwear, should they have to run from their beds in the middle of the night, or nightwear that really made them look presentable should they bump into their neighbors at 3 a.m. Regardless, Pajamas became very popular during 1915 and the Zeppelin air raids, and the fashion stuck. This was Eric's random fact of the day. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading. reading! Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> I know, right. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we are talking about two new cryptids today. The first is or was the Mini Washitu, and the other is the Lamona. Uh, the first one being from uh, North Dakota, right around the Missouri River, and the other being of Central America lore, Central American lore. Uh, two new cryptids 
new in the fact that we haven't really discussed them before. Uh, at right. least we don't remember doing so. Uh, but yet very old legends in terms of their history within their respective cultures. Uh, when it comes to cultural cryptids, now, now think of, all right, so there's cultural cryptids like the Lamona or the Minisha, the, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> The mini washitu, the mini washitu. Um, you know, the, the, there are various cards like the, the Wendigo, you know, for one or, or skinwalkers, mm-hmm. right. you know, things like that are very much culturally based. Yes, other people know of it outside of the culture, but they're very much culturally focused. Uh, but then we have these multi-culture or cross-culture uh, cryptids, such as the Yeti or the Bigfoot or the Sasquatch. All the same thing. Maybe, maybe not. We don't really know, right. but we know that they're at least of the same uh, descendant, the same family, the same something, origin, who knows. Um, and I find that really interesting. Another cross-culture would be like the Loch Ness Monster. That's something that cross-culture people believe in. This isn't, yes, it's located in one specific spot, but it isn't simply based on the culture of that particular land, right? Right. Uh, of the people. Uh, so I think it's really weird in a way that we have these two various uh, brands of creature that exist. Uh, it's kind of like you've got your all-stars where your Loch Ness and your, your Bigfoot and even your, uh, you know, your, your, your dogman or your werewolves, you know, exist, uh, your vampires. Right. And then you have these other ones, these odd out breeds that aren't, the superstars of the cryptid world, uh, but are very much still in their own, uh, very scary and true, at least in the sense of legend and belief, uh, cryptids, you know, um, making their own waves in, in, in various cultures. And it's really cool to see how they kind of, how they kind of, like the two of them link in the fact that they're cryptids and unknown, but differ mm-hmm. in how they exist, you know? Right. Well, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook had seen my advertisement for the show and, uh, or this episode and, um, had asked me, you know, what if all of these creatures all through mythology and, um, you know, Christian belief and all this stuff. Um, what if all of these creatures are nothing more than Tulpa like creatures, basically creatures created from people's minds? Um, what, what if that's all it is? And because the, the legend has been told so much people, so many people have started believing in them or thinking about them that they've become alive. And I said, you know, my ho- my co-host and I have, have talked about that numerous times on Paratruth Radio because who's to say that these creatures are even of physical existence or a descendant from something that we don't even know where it came from? But rather, these legends were told, and as we've gone through history, we've literally created them ourselves. Right, 
Well, and the other thing to consider too, because I know we've talked about this with like Slender Man, you know, how it's manifested mm-hmm. through a, um, you know, basically a multitude of people believing in a creature and how that belief could give it existence. Uh, I, I think we have to be careful on what exactly we mean by belief, you know, and whether or not that thing could come true, you know, and I, so normally, okay, so normally I would be like, yeah, you know, you believe in it hard enough, it could come true, right? That says that in the prayer, believe in whatever your, whatever your prayer is, but you received it, boom, you got it. Uh, same with these creatures, believe in it hard enough, they could exist. The problem is, and this is where I'm very recently learning that now it's become a fault. Uh, and it's very bad for me personally. So as you guys know, I suffer from OCD uh, and obsessive compulsive disorder is often triggered by uh, intrusive thoughts. And those intrusive thoughts are basically thoughts that I do not want to have. And most people don't have, or if they do, they just kind of have it and let it go. Whereas I constantly mm. obsess over it. My fear, because these are really, really bad thoughts that I don't want to have, not necessarily bad by human standards, but bad by my own standards. Um, I often believe that they're going to come true and that freaks me the hell out. Uh, And, you know, I've noticed that being even in the paranormal community and talking about this kind of stuff, it actually has been affecting me as of recent, like, well, shit, everything I've talked about, about believing, 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 that's, that's what it's all about. But then you have psychiatrists and uh, uh, therapists saying, no, that's not how that works. You, You know, just because you think something and believe it doesn't mean it's going to come true. You don't have, it's called magical thinking. Uh, you believe that whatever you think can come true, but that just isn't the case. Uh, and so I think we have this box and over the years we've been building this box of what it means to believe in something and have it come to life. Um, and I think we need to learn to separate what is paranormal um, from reality, because often what is even paranormal, and I say reality loosely, because obviously paranormal reality coexist uh, together. But uh, in many of these cases, I think what is paranormal is more so a figment of one's imagination as opposed to an actual creature existing. Now, there have been evidence, video or photo evidence of Slender Man, for example. Um, Those cases have been highly speculated to be false, falsified, Mm. uh, doctored. And we know that there was a, uh, a, a, a couple of kids tried to commit homicide based right. on Slender Man. And we found that both of those children had mental disorders, uh, schizophrenia and otherwise um, bipolar disorder and things like that. And you have to discern, okay, so what is real and what wasn't? And in most cases, you would figure that the Slender Man isn't real, never was real, it's just a story, but people allowed that story to become manifest as a real thing in their mind, when to everybody else, the truth is completely opposite, right? Um, and I'm sorry to go on a rant, but I'm in a weird place right now these last couple of weeks, and I just felt like I needed to sh- share this. Um, but I, I think we got to be careful, though, because I think a lot of people, myself included, yourself included, uh, we go into, you know, think about going into the basement. You don't really want to go down there because you had a thought that there's something down there. But is there? You know, you go down there and you hear the furnace click on and we think it's a ghost, right? Uh, you see a shadow. It's probably just your own, but you don't know. Funny it. coincidence. We got home today and... 
<clears throat> the furnace turned on. I thought there was somebody in the house. <laughs> exactly. So I think we have to be as, as uh, paranormal investigators, as paranormal scientists, uh, documentists, uh, things like that. We have to be extra careful to decipher and discern what is actual reality and what is story. Right. And be able to learn well, to separate those things. And and when we we talk about Talpa and creating things, that doesn't necessarily mean a physical being. Right. That can just be something in somebody's mind, like right. you're saying. Um, so yeah, I, I I think you really do have to differentiate between the two. But I just clicked on this <clears throat> other creature that was started by Creepypasta. So I'm just going to blame Creepypasta for creating all of these creatures that don't actually exist. And because it's called the rake and it looks very similar to Slender Man. I know all about the rake. (laughs) So it is interesting and and it has to do with um, it says the creature reportedly attacks humans for unknown reasons and often causes its victims great psychological trauma. Well, Mm -hmm. That's not to say that those people didn't have psychological trauma to begin with. So right. they saw I, this thing supposedly. Yeah, I have. I don't know if the rake is actually like actually was created by Creepypasta or if they just created a story for it. Um, I have seen video video evidence of what people think is a rake. I've seen, seen two of them. Uh, okay. One is a rake inside of a garage that somebody went in to, they were hearing noises. They went in and something came running at them. Looks very much like the images you see uh, when you look up the rake. And the other one was a creature on the side of the road that was picking up a dead deer uh, roadkill uh, and carrying it off into the woods. Both images or videos, they're videos, were very compelling. Of course, as usual, the person holding the camera is like freaking out. The camera's all jumping everywhere. You don't really see what's happening uh, or it's just super fuzzy because it's nighttime. But nonetheless, uh, it's a very creepy creature that happens to live in the woods. Um, And it reminds me of like something straight out of Resident Evil. Yeah, or even uh, uh, Silent Hill. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it says the origin is folklore first referenced in the 1600s. Mm-hmm. As far as this article on on uh, monster.fandom.com. But it says that uh, originally appearing in the on the internet as a creepypasta. So it could okay. have been a legend that somebody kind of drew it, an image or whatever and put it on creepypasta. Which can absolutely be the case for slender man because even though we say slender man originated on creepypasta so it's kind of saying the rake did maybe there was a legend that somebody heard but then put it on creepypasta with an an image and that's where the image of slender man came from sure sure but i'm i'm glad that you bring up a, a very good point about saying you know, what we believe or creating these creatures ourselves because it doesn't necessarily mean physical creature. And on top of that, 
even though you're saying you you know you could say we're we're creating these things, maybe <clears throat> some type of entity, demon, uh, uh, malevolent spirit, whatever, can pick up on your fears. Not necessarily right. read your mind, but if you're talking about these things, sure, it can shape into it. Yeah. Uh, talking about them, reading about them, writing about them, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's like, right. I, I mean, I was taught that demons don't read minds and depending on what source you, you, you read or choose from, you might hear other things. Um, but what demons can do is basically the same thing humans can do just better, you know? <laughs> right. So anything you think you see, know, and hear, whatever you write and read, they know it tenfold. Um, that's why they say it's it's not that they read your mind, it's just that they know you better than you know yourself because they watch you, but we don't really watch ourselves. You know, we we know what our minds are thinking, and our minds are very manipulative, uh, even for a perfectly normal, healthy person. Um, but it can't really manipulate a demon because they are the 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 princes of manipulation, basically. Right. So that's pretty much it for the Miniwashitu and the and uh, Lamona, which I looked up the translation. Lamona literally means the monkey. Okay. <coughs> so Mona uh, was the name. <clears throat> Mona Bruja. I believe Bruja means witch. So monkey witch would be the literal translation. So, I hope you guys enjoyed these two very rare cryptids. We'll keep doing these as we find them, so definitely uh, stay tuned for that. But you have a friend who's coming out with a very cool project, so I wanted you to talk about that. Uh, yeah, so... Well, I wasn't really re prepared for this. <laughs> um, so my, my buddy, he, he did this short film back in, in school. Um, and back when I was in school, in film school. So he, he started this, or did this trailer back in film school. Uh, you know, it was one of those things. It was supposed to be a short film. And he ended up cutting a trailer. And it was a freaking beautiful trailer uh and then he just kind of didn't do anything with it for a while he kept going back to edit and re-edit and re-edit and read it and was never really happy with it and it was something that i liked right away because um there were giants um and i can't remember that's what it was called actually back then uh, i think it might have had a different name uh that he's actually using for for one of the other films that he's doing or the tv show uh but it's about the nephilim and it's about Basically, what happened if the Nephilim still existed today, uh, in, in some sense? Uh, uh, mostly, in, in this case, there's like a, a door that exists in from ancient times that is opened and it releases this Nephilim creature, uh, and the Nephilim kind of you know people have to fight against it and put it back, and there's this constant back and forth, and it kind of expands through, uh, at least from what I've seen so far in the pitch two feature films and a television series, which would then cover a multitude of stories and uh, possibly uh, years or eras or whatever of these creatures. 
and, and it's a story that is I've always been really like delighted in. I know when he first started writing it, he told me that he wanted to talk to me about the Nephilim and we can figure because that we were doing Paratooth at that point. Um, right. You know, amongst all the other ones that we've done in the past, uh, which he never did. But, you know, he did this trailer and then forgot about it. And as of recent, just a few weeks ago, all of a sudden, this was back in 2015, 16. Um, so here we are, 2021, and he releases the trailer and then a, a pitch trailer as well, along with this whole uh, biograph of what's going to be happening in these stories, which he doesn't share much because you know you have to keep uh, a lot of that information to yourself if you want to make sure you keep the story under wraps and not let people steal it. Uh, but right. nonetheless, it, it's a really interesting story. And of course, there are... Yeah, so wefunder.com forward slash there were giants and you can get this whole thing about the franchises it's a franchisable film and tv universe featuring the nephilim of genesis uh my buddy's name is cody and he's the writer behind it uh and producer and another one of our uh friends of also working along with him and currently they're trying to raise money that they're shooting for 200 and roughly $50,000 in order to make this first movie. And they're currently sitting at about $76,000. And we're trying to raise more money. I talked to him about it just a couple of days ago uh, to see how long he was keeping this funding uh, program open. He's kind of up in the air about it. And I told him, let it keep going for a while. Let's throw it out on Paratruth and see if we can't get some more investors because this is a really cool idea. And if you guys watch this trailer, you think you'll really like it. I actually, I'm going to have a audio trailer coming for this uh, probably next week or so the next episode, we'll have that in there. It's going to be about a minute to minute and a half length audio trailer where um, it's, it's a pitch trailer. So Cody himself will be telling you guys all about this project and where you can go to, to share. And what's really cool about this one in particular with WeFunder is the money that you invest in it. It is a minimum investment of $100, but it's an investment. It's not just simply a donation. So the difference being a donation is money you give and you don't see again. Whereas right now, if you were to invest $100, you receive 125% back after the story is made and sold. And then on top of that, you earn an extra 10%, uh, basically of residuals for every other part of that film plus the franchise so even if it, they end up doing a second movie and then the tv series you continue to make 10 percent for the off the sales for all of that so you're making money uh by investing in this project uh and there you know cody is a a, a really good uh like really strong creative uh he's a, he's a pretty good technical guy uh, he's got buddies that are that are helping him in the tech area and we, we got um friends that are crew that would be helping them out. This thing is pretty much really set to go um, once they raise the money for it. So I, I would love to, I don't do this often, so I'd love to just tell you guys about it and hope that you guys would maybe invest and help him out. Because uh, personally for me, it's not always about um, investing in the series or the movies themselves, but investing in the people behind the stories. And that's what we're really trying to do here. At least Justin and I you know invest in my friend uh, so that he can get this up and running. Cause I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a project that will benefit 
yes, him, but also I think everyone who donates who's interested in that type of subject matter. It is a horror film. So even better, you know, because we're paranormal people. We all love horror. Right. Well, and, and how often do you get to invest compared to donate? It's not very often at all, honestly. So I think that that in and of itself um, it is a reason to help in this project because you will see something come back from it. Um, and when, when uh, Eric showed me the trailer, I was like, I love this idea just because even though I don't follow the Christian faith as faithfully as Eric and, and I don't know if uh, Cody does per se either, but um, it, it looked amazing and <clears throat> it brings it into modern day instead mm-hmm. of just thinking about the legends from the Bible. It, it brings it into a perspective people can understand now. Right. So, well, we will have that trailer up next week. Um, we are still working on getting our guests cemented in for next week. So stay tuned to Pear Truth Radio, where we've got a bunch of great things coming for you guys. Uh, as usual, thank you to KillerPodcast.com via Evergreen for having us on the network. And until next time, folks, where you'll find us, same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. This is- Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.